Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. I might chip out, man. I got this, yeah. Welcome back, Ankle Pickers. We are here for another episode after Seth the Spread and a phenomenal interview from Freddie Stevenson. Quick notes, interview. What do you guys think? He's great, great guy to talk to. Great guy to talk to. You know, it, it's certain I, we, we kind of recapped a little bit last episode, but, you know, it, there's a lot of people that don't turn the corner the way he did, and it's really impressive what he's done. And all the props in the world to him and now he's out spreading a good message and like i said all the props in the world to him yeah can't can't wait to talk to him again hopefully we made him a little bit more of a fan hopefully heroing story out of him and definitely surprised the panel with how much he knew about the sport that we all love and why you're here listening so boys last week's fight card jared cannonier versus calvin gastelum We'll get to that in a second. We'll start off with the prelim card, though, because there was some phenomenal finishes on the card. Kobe, just chime in if it's a performance of the night or the fight of the night as I read it off. Gotcha. I'm about to say, Roosevelt Roberts versus Ignacio Bahamundes. Performance of the night. Yep. Bahamundes. Yep. So if you didn't see this fight, Ignacio Bahamundes hit him with the spinning heel. What, what was the exact – I want to say tornado kick, but what was the exact – it was like a, I thought it was uh, just a spinning wheel kick. Wheel kick. Um, but landed flush with five seconds left in the bout after dominating all, him on the feet. And I guess my real question is, first off, did Bahamundas surprise you coming in as the underdog against a, a more well-known prospect in Roosevelt Roberts? That's a first off. Second off, I would say that do you think Bahamundas can – continue to climb the ladder in in the lightweight division that's a lightweight division that's really stacked so i'm not sure about that second question but it was surprising uh ignacio pieced him up on his feet he's got some absolutely vicious kicks a lot of different ones a lot of different looks i mean we're going to talk about giga and edson later but those were kicks that reminded me of those two guys they were technical as hell and and quick and just chopping roosevelt down to the point where i thought Roosevelt didn't want to fight anymore. He was kind of pulling guard to say, get me out of here. Yeah. So full disclosure, we, Danny and I chopped it up a little bit before this episode, talking about whether the referee should have called it when Roosevelt Roberts was pulling guard, uh, clearly saying, I do not want to be standing in front of this man. I think I was saying that I think that the, the, it's the fighter's job to say to tap. I mean, that's always an option. Danny was kind of taking the other take where, I mean, we've seen Roosevelt Roberts fight before. He's never looked like that. He, I mean, he was pulling guard, laying on his back, trying to stall time to just get to the clock. Um, I guess I disagree that I don't think it's on the fighter. I think it's on one, your team. They got to know you more than anyone, mm-hmm. especially when your adrenaline's that high. And then it wasn't, two, a sending, it wasn't a sending out issue. It was a in round three issue. Right. Which takes right. the corner out of it. I mean, at the same time, you can always throw in a towel. But at that point, you're right. I think it is more on the ref to decide when a fighter is safely defending themselves. And, and I think that is the letter of the law. Of It is. It's just, it's such a, that's the problem is the rule's so gray. It's like, what's, what do you consider safely defending yourself? Like, 
trying to take it to the mat. I mean, I know what you were saying. It's like, well, that's not really pulling guard. It just, I, I can see it both ways. Unfortunately for Roosevelt Roberts, though, it ended in possibly knockout of the year candidate. I mean, it got me out of my seat. Oh, yeah. big time. I mean, ball of the feet, flush on the chin, couldn't have landed better. Perfect, right right on the chin. With that being said, though, Ignacio was working the lower leg kicks early, low calf kicks, and another guy worked the low calf kicks and ended in a little bit faster result is William Knight. Kobe. 80K. 80K, performance 80K. or fight? Performance. performance. Hard not to. So we were talking about this one a little bit as well. So William Knight's coach was adamant that you need to stop throwing with relentless power on every single strike. You know what I mean? It's, it's the be, it's the Bruce Lee be like water aspect where you touch them enough and they will fall. Danny, describe the William Knight knockout how you described 10 minutes ago. I mean, yeah, it was shocking. It was kind of right at the point where I thought Sharon was gaining the first kind of momentum that he had all fight. He was moving forward with a combination and as William was moving backwards, he didn't even get his full hip into it or any kind of rotation. It was just the very first initial part of the hook that caught him almost with a straight arm before he got it past the part of his shoulder that really generates the power. And it just shows, one, how much power this guy has, and two, how right his coach was, as you were just talking. It's You just got to land. You got to find that spot. And it, most of the time, it's not all the time. Like, a lot of fighters say, I only get knockouts when I go out there and don't try and get a knockout. It, it, it just happens. But when I'm doing my game plan and touching them up, when I'm looking for it, I wind up, I wind up gassing or whatnot. Um, this was, this was a perfect example. He just found the button. It was a perfect, a perfect left hook. See, and, and what's so interesting about this left hook in particular is like you said, it kind of came from, even almost even less than a jab. It was like a halfway extended arm that he kind of just threw out there. It looked like uh, Shrant might have been either shooting or just going in for some sort of clinch. And yeah, I think he was tagged, overextending on the right straight. Right on the button. But this one surprised me. And actually, it was not a tracked play for me, but it was something that I took like maybe 10 minutes before the fight um, because I thought the line was actually a little low. The more I thought about it, I go, this, this line's kind of low for a Fabio Sharan who got uh, uh, Von, Von Flun choked by Alonzo Manyfield. Um, but continuing along with an interesting dynamic, and this one we're going to go really quick on. It's just something I'd be ashamed if I didn't add. Bay Malecki, K-O-T-K-O, she got smoked by Jose, Jose Nunez. No PDK. way. No way. Did they go Another performance of the night. We got four performance of the night bonuses. No not, fight of the night. No fight of the night. Wow. I would not have guessed that one. The thing is, though, Dan, and I wish I mentioned this last week, we kind of try to keep our recaps a little bit shorter here, and I, I didn't want to dive into a, a woman's fight, especially because you and I notoriously aren't the best women's kids. We're not bad, but it, it's tougher. Bay Malucky, I faded in her UFC debut because I could not believe how slow and loopy and, and uncoordinated. And just honestly, it is a fundamental shame, her striking ability. And she likes to stand. And I go, there's no it's, way she's a victim of her own body type. She's been successful on the regional scene being bigger than everyone else. And the second that she faced Nuna as someone with actual power and striking ability, it was over real quick lights out like really quick. And you could see it was happening too. And it's like someone who is five ten or six feet with reach, you would expect her 
to to live behind that jab and be better at it. Bingo. Bingo. Nunes closed the distance so like effortlessly and landed the power shots. And 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 to be fair on Nunes's end, you rarely see power generated by a 135 pounder like that. I mean, it landed flush and it was lights out. Going to the main card. Honestly, I, I know there's a performance of the night here, and I know it's this one. Uh Alexandre Pantoja, Brandon Royville. Yep. Ding ding. Ding ding. So I tweeted on the main at Ankle Pick Pod account. We were all kind of active there last week, but I tweeted that Pantoja is a top five flyweight all time across all divisions. He came into the flyweight uh, tough season as the number one. That's where he fought Brandon Moreno for the first time. He beat Brandon Moreno there, current flyweight champion, but I don't, he did not end up winning the season. Your boy, Tim Elliott won that season. However, However, when you look at him across all, all flyweight divisions across all organizations and his record and his level of competition and who he's defeated, especially in the fashion, he, I mean, he, he submitted a, a submission specialist in Brandon Roybal in the second round, one minute, 46 seconds in, relatively effortlessly too. It was shocking how easy he got the grip on him. Was it a rear naked or a guillotine? I can't remember. Uh, I, I think it was a rear naked. Yeah, I rear naked choke. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, and if I was on the the podcast last week, first of all, it's great to be back. Yeah, sorry, listeners. Back. Sorry, I know but I can't believe we brushed over that. I would have mentioned. I'm sure y'all did. Uh, how, how the main path to victory for Roybal was probably a sub, and it was just it's so exactly impressive right. to see him get dominated there. Um, Alexandre is definitely due for that title shot. And it's dir- interesting how he's got wins over the champ. My direct quote was. You take Pantoja to win or Royval by sub. The only options you have if you're betting that fight. But I, I think Pantoja, I think Brandon Moreno, this is a different Brandon Moreno than Pantoja's ever seen before. But I love seeing that his gas tank has been remedied since some of his earlier fights in this recent run. Manel Cop, to be specific, he was gas in there, but there's a couple other ones. Um, Vince Michelle beat Austin Hubbard. Nothing notable there. Just kind of a long grinded out decision. The experience played the factor. Trevin Jones got subbed by the name that was pronunciation of the week that I don't think any of us got right. Cockermano. However, Dan, do you have anything to add about that submission? I know Trevin Jones came in as the favorite. Um, I don't, I didn't really get a lot of tape on Cockermano, but it was an impressive victory. Yeah. I wasn't expecting much going in. I thought it was awesome that he got the finish right at the buzzer, but besides that, nothing really more to add. Yeah, it was a layoff for me. Uh, Parker Porter, Chase Sherman. Parker Porter won via decision. This is something that I've been relentless about on Twitter, making fun of both of these guys for just being not UFC caliber, absolute trash. Everyone liked Chase Sherman at minus 190. I I wasn't totally sure why he's, well, trash. Um, and it, it, it showed. He lost via decision to Parker Porter. I'd be shocked if you had any tidbits to add, but if you do, the floor is yours. No, just great wrestling from Parker. Yeah, great wrestling, but fundamentally that fight was a shit show i mean mm-hmm. i was underwhelmed to say the least so lightweight co-main event clay guida lost via decision to marco manson this one i did want to touch on quickly mainly because marco manson was a, a minus 200 and, and change i think favorite here and it ended up coming down to the high 100s 190 180 but marco manson was supposed to dominate and it was i saw guida as an underdog pick, I thought Guido was going to be a significant parlay buster there. And he lost via split decision. 
and I had it for Guida. And I'm wondering if you saw it the same way or if there was something I was missing. So I scored it for Madsen, and this is maybe a really hot take, but I actually came away more impressed with Madsen than I thought because Mm. he didn't have to go into that wrestling well. And he was able to stand and trade with a guy that's as savvy and, and as smart as a Clay Guida and has as much experience on the feet as Clay Guida. And we know that Mark is as good of a wrestler as it comes. He's an Olympian. I mean, if we're, if we're questioning that if he wanted to go to that game plan, he, he could have. I think he let it go really close and, and closer than a lot of people were comfortable that backed him. But I, I did score the first and the third for him. and I, I didn't think it was much of a controversy. That's an interesting take. Like, I like to take. I respect it. I didn't even really look at the way that Madsen got the victory. I just thought more that – and, again, I, I had a little bit on Guida. I, it's hard to judge unbiasedly. But that, that is an interesting take. If Madsen's beating a guy like Clay Guida, who has some really notable wins recently too, not totally utilizing his wrestling, that is an impressive note to just jot down and make a side note. It just kind of sucks that – Madsen, he let it get that close. Not only did he let it get that close, which is which is definitely something worth noting if you're backing him in the future, but also that he's starting his career so late. I mean, he's 36 now. It's like, are you really going to see him make a run? There's so much learning to be done. I, I am bummed because I think he, if this was 10 years ago at 26, you have a guy that we're talking about might win the title someday. You know, a guy that is in every conversation to beat Khabib at 155, having that Olympic wrestling oh, background for sure, and and for shockingly for sure that's also not that hot of a take honestly you're if he's I mean, we were talking about gregor gillespie with the same exact stent, like sentiment not two years ago and any anything's possible in this sport. Anything's possible. middleweight bout main event before we end the recap and get on to news and notes jared cannonier defeats kelvin gaslam via decision it, it, to me it went kind of how it, it, i expected it to go i mean it went very similar on the course of the whitaker where there i think a lot of people thought cannonier or gaslam would be throwing heavy leather, leather, even though the over-under was four and a half. But I didn't see any controversy here. I didn't see anything noteworthy. I wasn't overly impressed or underly impressed with either. One thing, though, I want to add is when you look at this fight go five rounds and you look at Izzy defend the title five rounds with a guy like Colin Gaslam, one is a little different than the other. I mean, I, I'm still to this day shocked how much trouble Kelvin Gaslam gave Adesanya. I don't know if those remedies have been fixed. I don't know if it was the potential for a takedown. I don't know what it was. But when I'm watching Cannoneer or Gaslam lose to Cannoneer like this, I'm watching Gaslam lose to Hermanson like this. I'm watching Gaslam lose to Whitaker. I'm like, what about the Adesanya fight was so tough for him? You're not wrong. And I don't really have a great answer. What I hope and what I, what I as an Izzy fan, what I hope is that Kelvin exposed the holes that were in his his wrestling and his grappling defense and that he's been training those exclusively since. And that's why we haven't seen them come up as much against guys like Whitaker and guys like Paulo and Yoel who can grapple, but that's completely assuming everything. And no, I mean, it's just one of those things that every single fight Gaslam has, I feel like the Adesanya performance in that fight ages worse and worse. It's like, how did that happen? You know what I mean? Oh yeah. And I think that's something that I personally need to work on because I'm so hung up on that that I'm having a tough time taking value against him against Costa, for example, where Izzy's clearly superior, but I'm like, well, Costa in a way is a bigger Gaslam. So if Gaslam did all that, then Costa should be able to, you know, so 
I, it might just be one of those fights that you need to forget about, but Izzy got away at the W, but it's just shocking every single fight that happens. And it was just fun as a fan. It was. That fight is like a top 10 all-time fight. I mean, it's, a, it's an electric one. Kobe, news and notes time. All in all, decent card last week, but I think both Danny and myself, we missed you last week, Dan, but I think both of us are excited as far as, far as a betting standpoint goes for this upcoming card, Barbosa uh, Jacazzi. We'll get to that one in a second. I, I'm, I don't want to spoil it, but this, this, this week's upcoming card is freaking awesome. It really is. Up and down. We'll get to it. Um, news and notes. Not a whole lot to do here. Uh, let's start with Damian Maya and Jimmy Rivera, both removed from the rankings pool this week. So I'm less shocked about Maya than Rivera, even as a huge Maya fan. It's a guy I thought they were going to give him a – retirement or a send-off fight of some kind an opportunity to leave his gloves in the octagon but looking at jimmy rivera this was a guy that exploded onto the scene with like six straight wins i mean one over uriah favor versus pedro muñoz thomas almeida and then since then his losses are i mean marlon Moraes, Piotr jan eljo and pedro muñoz like all top five ranked guys none of those like three in a row he's got wins over Cody Stamen and John Dobson separating them all it just confused me really this was a guy I definitely thought added to the Bantamweight division and even though even though I, I didn't really consider him as a real threat he's he's definitely someone I was super surprised to see taken off these rankings well I I couldn't agree more with you the thing about Maya that needs to be added is I feel like he had the leave your glove in the octagon type fight, like the last two. And sometimes, especially with these guys that are lifelong mixed martial artists, they'll keep going. Can I just please have one more? Like, give me one more. I can, I can win this one. Give me one more. Give me one more. And it's like, I mean, I'm done seeing him shoot 25 times against Tyron Woodley and not getting a takedown. I mean, there were a lot of people that thought the leave your gloves in the octagon moment was a full like two and a half years ago when he proved jujitsu was better than wrestling by beating Ben Askren. Yeah. Which also another win that didn't age great. <laughs> <laughs> terribly, yeah. terribly. But jujitsu beat wrestling that day. Yeah. No. And and, and then is for the Rivera fight. Uh, for Rivera, that one shocked me. It 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 had to be about pay. I cannot dice it up any other way. I know Dana has been vocal about if he doesn't think that you can contend for a title, like there's no real point in keeping you around and i think for the lower guys it's like oh well who cares for 15k a fight you know i don't care but rivera i mean he's been in a headliner bout multiple headliner bouts i mean you you need to pay this man what he's worth and i don't think dana was doing it i mean realistically Piotr jan no tj dillashaw probably not Corey sandagan no bob font probably not aldo no rice no so you're looking at a guy who in this stacked bantamweight division is is double digits in the ranking he's still ranked but i don't know if he can get past that hump i i have to only assume that it was money yeah i think, I I think, think you're on top of it i can't think of another reason i i would be intrigued to see if anyone else could but i i mean i jimmy rivera is as, as talented as they come at least for anyone that's going to be brought into the 35 division couple of fight announcements we've got Mackenzie Dern and Marina Rodriguez for 10-9 I know Danny likes that one. super fun super yeah, fun that's, that's Danny's gals and we have just more on UFC 267 Abu Dhabi Vulcan Ozmir and Magomed Ankalaev 
I mean, that, that card keeps one. getting better and better. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> at this point, I think we realize that maybe on set the spread, but it's like at a certain point, I mean, this is Danny's like, you know, in the league when people roster bait after they draft their team, I mean, this is Danny to this card. Every prospect that he's talked about over and over and over again has found its way on 267. They've got to put my guy Shavkat on it and then we're complete. I mean, Danny, if your sister is getting married, I think you skipped the wedding to find out this was his card. I mean, Luckily, and, and listeners, this is important. That'll be a early morning or I guess a like 8 a.m. start. So even oh. if it's my sister's wedding day, I'll just be a little late. I won't miss it. <laughs> I missed my grandma's funeral for UFC 205. <laughs> jokes, jokes, jokes. Uh, um, yeah, Danny mentioned it. That was in Abu Dhabi, and that's why he's got all his prospects on there because all he loves is those Russian Dagestani prospects. Mozart Evelev's on there, Islam's on there. I mean, we Damir Magulov. He's Magulov. Got a rookie prism card if you're chasing. <laughs> well, that's what we got. And then you know, a little bit of hesitation to bring this up, but at the end of the day, we got Tyrone Woodley fighting this weekend against Jake Paul in a boxing match. It is a sanctioned boxing match. Woodley's a big dog, plus 170. That's uh, Paul minus 200. That's Sunday night. And I know Danny said he's got a prop that he's like, he's looking to play on that too. Yeah, this was a prop that I saw earlier in the week. So it might have changed, but I hope not too much. Uh, and, and I really haven't done a lot of taping to break this down, but I saw that there was a big old number on Paul by decision. And I, I thought that there was a big chance that the guy who's been training more boxing ekes out a decision. Um, obviously Tyrone Woodley he's fought a lot of power punchers. I mean, I'm talking Gilbert Burns, who he went three, I think he went full five rounds with. So I wouldn't be surprised if Jake can't get him out of there, but I also wouldn't be surprised if the wrestler with only overhands can't really get behind a jab and take out a guy who's going to be a little bigger than him. I think I don't want to throw this out there and, but it's something that I've talked about in, in a, actually a discord group I'm in, um, do you think that there's a chance that this gets thrown? I mean, look, look. That's look, what I'm look, saying. I kind of agree I, with Reese. I don't want to dive too much into this, but all I look at is this. Jake Paul has bags to make on winning this. I mean, it continues to extend his legacy. Or not legacy, that's a bad word, but his his legitimacy. That's a better word. And Tyron Woodley is only in this for the money grab anyway. I mean, I, granted, he doesn't want to lose, and I'm sure that he right, but it's not like he hasn't been embarrassed so. before. Right. And he's gotten smoked four straight times in the UFC, and people have been botting him. Oh, I'm going to go over to this, make a fat bag. I don't care if I get fake knocked out. You know, there's a lot of pride that goes into it, but I would have said the same thing before the Askren fight, which, I mean, he didn't even show up for. So, Well, the only difference between the Nate Robinson, the Ben Askren, and right now is that sanction part. I think that there is a morality clause where now that there's a athletic commission backing it, they sign something that says, essentially, I'm going to try. Yeah, and obviously that's that's easy to break if you've got the right strategy or whatnot. But I think that that's the biggest difference for me. That definitely and, helps. That definitely helps. That it's that it, it, you have some sort of trust. I just know that one of the big reasons I've listened to boxing commentators say the rise of the UFC and the MMA has mainly been because boxing has been so questionable with their judging and their decisions and. Right. Of course. There's always ways around it. There's always so, ways yeah. to be corrupt, but it's something to watch. I mean, if Woodley goes to sleep round one, I refuse to believe that Paul's that great of a boxer. I, I won't believe it. Well, there'll be a lot to be seen when we're at, if we actually, I don't know. I don't want to say when I'm actually watching because I don't even know that I'm going to watch it. I'm sure I'll see the highlights, whatever that you'll, we'll, you'll be able to tell. It's not like this is our first rodeo here. No, you're right. Did we find out if it's Saturday or Friday? Sunday. 
Oh, Sonny. Okay. I was about to say, because if it's overlapping the UFC, no one here will be watching that motherfucker. Um, and if it overlaps PFL on Friday, there's no way anyone here is watching that motherfucker. So <laughs> let's just call that that. Um, that is all the news and notes for this week. Okay. Uh, cool. I got nothing else to add. Dan. We're good. Let's rip it. All right. So this week, we have Giga Jakatsi versus uh, Edson Barbosa. Sorry, I was on the prelim aspect of it. So we're going to run through it. If you have big notes for any, just, just let me know. I've done most of my taping so far. Uh, I am on currently on vacation though. So I didn't totally get everything, but. And Reese, when you took a vacation, did you skip a podcast? Fuck no. I, I, uh, I paid Verizon 10 mil to drop me a hop spot. Danny, no internet, my butthole. Why'd you text me? When did I text you? When I got back to service? Don't pretend like you didn't text me that dirty paragraph Friday afternoon. With that being said, let's get into it. So, Danny, I already know off the rip that you have a play here. Mana Martinez versus Canetti? Guido Canetti? Yeah. Um, and the, yeah, sorry. I, I don't read no goodly. Um, and the line on this is Martinez minus 270 but it sounds like you have a prop to potentially get around that definitely um first of all Mark Kennedy is trash this is a guy we say a lot <laughs> not UFC material uh okay, when we're talking it, about was it the eight and six I mean when, when when we're talking about guys that like Damian Maya and Jimmy Rivera getting cut mm-hmm. this is a guy that's what like two and two and six in his last eight uh how do you sign that guy no that's correct mana martinez has crazy power he's got a lot of hype behind him he's the main training partner of adrian yanez who's been phenomenal this year and has been one of the most highly touted or highly backed guys in in the betting market um not to mention he's got a round one knockout over tough semifinalist ricky tercios who we'll talk about later he's super well-rounded he's gonna make quick work of canetti here uh, I love the 270 as a parlay ad. I think it's minus 135 inside the distance. And I mean, he's going to run over Guido. It is going to be, it's going to be a hot start to the night. Yeah. The other thing too, that I want to add is Kennedy's the, the two and six in his last date that you were talking about. It's not like these are going to unanimous decisions, but I mean, he's getting finished round one, round two. Uh, I think four out of the, the eight fights we talked about. The other thing, too, that I'm really – I want to mention quickly about Mana Martinez, he was on Contender Series, a show that's coming up again on the 31st of August here. But I actually rode him in his Contender Series about against Draco Rodriguez and lost. It was a triangle choke. And the entire time I was thinking, if this man could roll this dice again, he'd win. I, oh, I, big I, time. That big, fight – I mean, I, I, I know there's going to be episode number two where I use the same F word, but that one felt so much like a fluke. It was a it weird did. takedown. It was yeah. like – he somehow ended up in the triangle. And then I was like, wait, what? Like, how, wait, how did he get here? And it, it was just I, so. It was so bizarre. And Draco's a guy who even said, like, I don't really do submissions. I, I've never. This is, it was his first submission victory. I mean, the whole thing was just weird. Right. Um, the thing is, too, is he went to sleep. So I love guys that are like, I know Ally Kinta is really famous for it. But I love guys that are like, I'm in it to win it. I'm not. Like, I, you're going to have to. I'm not tapping. Right, exactly. I'm not tapping. You're not getting me to give up. So I love, I loved this fight until I saw the 270. I couldn't wrap my head around the 270. So you're thinking? I think Kennedy is not a UFC level talent, and Martinez is going to have a 
awesome debut and and have a lot of hype into his next fight. I think the next fight will be even higher of line. You think this one's an in the distance or just yeah, the- yeah, I love the in the distance minus one thirty five. That'll that'll see my sheet. Definitely doable. Also, quick add uh, off the contender series loss, the weird one to Drake Rodriguez. He went on in Fury FC to win by round one KO and then round one KO. The first one was in a minute. The second one was in 32 seconds. Both fighters had a, a 66% win percentage in their career, 12, uh, 12 and six and seven and four. So it's like, it's not like he's fighting slouches, but Dan has an instant t- in, uh, interesting tidbit later on about fighting slouches. slouches. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that a lot of people overlook. Um, next fight, stacking the- up tomato cans. Uh, no, like, but actually though, like for that stat that you told me, actually just tomato cans. But with that being said, featherweight bout, Jamal Emmers versus Pat Sabatini. This one I really like. I know Danny said that he also liked it as well. Danny and I happened to tape totally different. We didn't communicate or anything. Happened to tape the same fights for this one. And we saw similar things out of Sabatini. But I was I really think Emmers is going to see a two-unit play out of me. And the main reason why is because of his versatility and his his skill sets in not only stand up but mainly wrestling and i believe i'm i'm 99.999% sure that emmers has a split decision loss to the main event giga jakatsu i can confirm that uh, that was one of the fights i watched this morning and, and it, was, it was it was it was, it was a, a close split decision this is a this was not a, i mean this was his debut first of all so that says a lot about a guy like jamal evers they're giving him giga in his debut but this was uh, booked as a clear striker versus grappler, and Emmer's got pulled into a firefight and outstruck him in rounds two and three. That's a guy. That's Giga Chahadze, a guy main event, like one of the best strikers in the division. The wrestler like struck with him and was was fine. Almost I, honestly, on my cards, I think I had him winning. But yeah, I so it's in, I'm glad you mentioned that quickly because I did. I had him winning on my cards. Um, but you know the way the way gig has taken off, going six and zero, five and zero since that fight. Like, okay, that's fine. But I think people are people are sleeping on this Emmers. Another thing too, and again, this is earlier in these guys' career. But Emmers has wins over Alexander Hernandez, a three and zero Alexander Hernandez. So not probably nearly as well rounded. But the one that's even more impressive, in my opinion, unanimous decision win in LFA against a five and zero Corey Sandhagen. Wow. Yeah. So I remember I was looking through his records and I was trying to watch fights that would display what he's going to bring to the table, not only wrestling, but striking some losses, some wins. And I look at this record, I go, I mean, this man has spent some serious octagon fight or fight time with some serious killers. And it's not that Sabatini's a slouch. It's more just like, I think he's running into a guy that's getting overlooked. That's what I would say. And the, the, the reason I'm a little more hesitant than Reese on this is I mean, I mentioned how good of a wrestler Emmers is. Sabatini is also a phenomenal yeah. wrestler, maybe and even a better wrestler and maybe better jujitsu than Emmers. But uh, I mean, I mean, I just love what they're doing out at Daniel Gracie Jiu-Jitsu. I mean, the guys like Sean Brady, Andre Prochowski, Sabatini. Um, it's it's an awesome like wrestling jujitsu combination. Did you say Andre Prochowski. I said I said Petrosky, a guy on this <laughs> card, but. Uh, yeah, and as you brought up, Emmers has the height and reach advantage. He's probably going to be bigger, which will help with the grappling. And 
I, I do think that the right guys favor here. I'm, I'm just really excited for this fight. And I just saw this as a spot to lay more than one unit because of the mainly because I see value at that 150 clip. I mean, that it's not that I think Emmerich is a minus 350 guy here, and it's like there's no scenario where 17 he wins. It's just like when you're looking at a card, a big part of where I'm deciding to place my hard earned cash is value. Where can I get value? Even if a guy's an underdog and he's not supposed to win, if I think he's supposed to be plus 150 and he's plus 250 i'm gonna take that i i don't care if 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 it loses because i know that i feel like i got value in that scenario that's kind of like this here where i think emmer's at a minus 150 clip i think this line should be a lot closer to minus 180 i i actually got it in at um minus 130 emmer's opened at 110 so disclosure uh my bet has been placed two units 130 it's up to 150 right now if it drifts back in the 40s, I'll place another unit to make it a third. If it goes any higher than 150, which I think it will, um, I think I'm going to stick with my two unis. But you got to get value when value is given. And I think Emmer's here is, is a good spot. And either way, it'll be exciting. Yeah, it's going to be a good fight. It's really going to sh- – I mean, I think people are underestimating how much this second fight into the card shapes the featherweight division. I really – I mean, I hear no one talking about it. I'm a little surprised. Women's flyweight bout, J.J. Aldridge, Vanessa uh, Dumanopoulos. I don't have much to add on this one, Dan. If you do, chime in. But the line is Aldridge minus 380. I mean, I mean exactly it's just J.J. Aldridge should not be a minus 400 or minus 380 favorite in any world. Dumanopoulos is the only play, even on short notice and up a weight class. But this and one, I, won't, I won't touch it. And I personally pass because I, I think, although 380 is crazy, Aldridge is the better fighter. I mean, I don't really see that there's value to be gained there. Now, this brings us to the worst drum roll ever. I don't know if audio picked that up, but Dustin Jacoby versus Darren Stewart, the ankle lock of the week is back. We've taken a couple weeks off. Danny's been out, and we didn't love any good spots. Well, we love this spot. Dustin Jacoby, Darren Stewart. Dustin Jacoby is a measly. And, and, and I mean measly minus 175 favorite against a guy that seems to consistently bite us in the ass. Well, Reese, I don't so much feel that same sentiment. There was a period on this podcast where we seemed to not be able to pick Darren Stewart correctly, but looking at his most recent three times making the walk, it's Kevin Holland lost. Eric Anders, a fight where he was pretty much out, and then Eric Anders did the Piotr Jan impression and illegal need and then it was the eric anders rematch where it was a domination again and i think we were all over fading darren stewart in all three of those which were win-win push which that's making some decent money and i don't expect that to stop jacoby is a phenomenal kickboxer he's super fun to watch and and darren never really seems to impress me he's gonna look to wrestle dustin but dustin's Decent size and reach advantage is going to help him kind of shift the scale. I, I really do love this spot and the number for Jacoby. I think he'll be impressive. Maybe catch Darren Stewart with like a knee when he's coming in or an uppercut or, or something slick. Um, I don't I don't think Darren Stewart has many ways to win this besides like a lay and pray. Yeah. I mean, Danny and I really take our ankle lock seriously. Kobe, do you have the record up for us? I know we've taken a couple weeks off. 1910. 1910. So we're going for that 20 win, the 66% clip, as we've discussed. 
The thing is, Dustin Jacoby has a phenomenally kickboxing background as well. I, I think people overlook that when they're looking at just his MMA career. And if you even tape, you know, you know, you might not be watching his kickboxing film. But I agree with you, Dan. Is if and you said so. I I posed Dan the question when we talked about his ankle. Lock. I go, Are you worried about the takedown? Are you worried about Darren Stewart? Secure the takedown, laying and praying, getting a decision or a split decision. Danny goes, no, look at the Ian Kutalaba fight. Look at the Kutalaba fight. Look how many takedowns he stuffs. It ended as a draw, but he showed, what did you say, 0 for 11? No, I, I think that Kutalaba attempted 19 and only landed nine. Yeah, so 19-9. But if you're attempting 19. More than 50%. But not only that, but if you're, if you're attempting 19, it means that you're getting to your feet quick. So I encourage listeners, if you have fight pass or whatever, to go and watch that Kutalaba fight and decide if you agree with Danny and I that Dustin Jacoby can defend these takedowns. Because if he can, which I think he is and Danny thinks he can, it's, it's, it's the 175 is a steal and a half. I mean, there's no, there's no like, oh, there's no way Darren doesn't secure a takedown. Like he might. But Jacoby's planning for that. And he's so much better on the feet. So if it's stuffed, it's an easy cakewalk to victory for Jacoby. Not to mention we've seen what happens when you're shooting for a takedown and your opponent knows it. Quick KOs, uppercuts a la Derek Lewis, knees a la Jorge Masvidal. No, knees a la Edson Barbosa, Benel Dariush. That is the best knee. Corey Sanhagen. Corey Sanhagen, Frankie Edgar. You know your guy's shooting. It's, it's a pretty fun target to aim for. It is, especially as a kickboxer. Your legs are so fucking fast. You can just throw that knee up the gut. Now, this is one that Danny and I, I believe disagree on. Sam Alvey versus Wellington Terman. The line on this one is, for me, wasn't as high. It's Wellington Terman's minus 130. Sam Alvey plus 110. The line opened at 165. Yeah, I guess I'll kick it off. This is a fun one. I guess not fun one, but an interesting one. Because you got Terman, who's 10 years younger than Alvey. But if you only judged it by their chins, you would think it was the opposite. Alvey's a tough, well-rounded fighter. He likes to make fights ugly, kind of get under his opponent's skin and, and, and not really take a step backwards or ever really go away. Well, Terman, who, who has a lot of jujitsu credentials, um, is going to look to grapple, but absolutely is a chin made of porcelain. We saw Bruno Silva turn his lights out from like a ground and pound hook, something I had never seen happen before. Um, before that we saw Andrew Sanchez just like spam a right straight. It wasn't even like a creative or well-hidden punch. It was just like, Oh, I'm going to hit you. I'm going to hit you again. And then the third time you're going to go down. Herman really besides a sub, I don't think he's got a good path to victory here. And I know Albie's been caught before, but I don't think he's going to get caught again. And I think that he's going to piss off Terman to the point where this becomes a three-round slugfest and Alvey's going to be the guy I favor there. See, that's interesting, and here's my reasoning behind it. First off, Terman's fighting for his job. One and four in his lat in the UFC, or one and three in the UFC in his four fights. My big concern takeaway, the, the one that concerns me more than anything, is the fact that his turnaround from his last knockout was June. I mean, that's just not that long. I, I as as a camp especially with the guy being 25 and to be out cold from a ground and pound, like that was no, a weird it, knockout. No, I, it was a weird knockout. We both were on Silva, by the way, that night. I don't know if oh, you yeah. remember that, but we were a lot of fun. Might've even been our ankle lock. I just know we were on it, but yeah, I mean, to go out cold at 25, if you give yourself a year layoff, you know, you take a little while to train, like you can remedy that. 
I am a little concerned about the turnaround time, but, and, and this is the strongest but ever, I still think that the 25-year-old is extremely talented. Like, Wellington Terman's, like, fundamentally is a talented 185-er. And although his record doesn't totally show it, I, I see bits and pieces in his fights where I'm like, wow, if he could string that together, he'll be a dominant fighter. And I think that if he loses and if he gets cut, you will see him back in the UFC. I mean, he is a fighter. He has the skill set. But let's talk about the guy on the other end. And, and that's what's more important to me. 35 years old, lost to Julian Marquez via rear naked choke in a fight he was winning. Split draw to Dun Unjung. That was a weird 10-8 and then 10-9, 10-9 Alvi. Lost to Ryan Spann, a notorious fade out of the angle pick boys. But another lost- split. Lost to Gilson Abreu, unanimous decision. Now, Dan, let me ask you, what's Gilson Abreu doing right now? Uh, sitting at home watching fights like us. He's in, he's in PFL and Abu Dhabi jiu-jitsu tournaments. He's, he's sitting at home drinking beer watching fights. Lost to Jimmy Crew round two punch, or round one punches. And the one that breaks the camel's back, a loss against Antonio Nogueira, a 42-year-old Antonio Nogueira. Guess how? KO punches. So guys, one, two, three, four, oh, and five, oh, five and one in his last six. And he's facing a 25 year old prospect who at its core is talented. Yeah, I'll ride the minus 130. If I'm wrong, okay, I'm fucking wrong. And with all, with everything what you said being 100% true, Sam Alvey's the tougher guy. Sam Alvey's the guy who's going to fight for your money and, and, and grind it out. But that's just my. No, you're not, you're not wrong. It's more like, give me the 25-year-old up-and-comer that, that is fighting for his job versus the 0-5, 35-year-old who got KO'd by a 45-year-old. No doubt. But, okay, one last thing before we continue to move up this card. If you told me this fight was Terman minus 205, I lay off. Terman minus 250, I lay off. 180 is close, but 130? I mean, I'll roll the dice at 130. I'm not saying five units. You can't trust Wellington Terman. But, like, the line I like of, a buy-sub play better. I don't hate that. I just – I at 130, it's like you're not even paying juice. Like, I don't even need to get tricky with it. But it opened at 165 or something like that, drifted down to 130. Like, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll roll the dice on a unit play. Moving up the card – uh, this is the prelim, uh, the last fight on the prelims, which, by the way, this card is this Saturday, uh, 6 p.m., but it's Alessio De Carico versus Abdul Razak Alassane. Now, let's just call it what it is before we get into this. Abdul Alassane has been bodied on this podcast in the past. You we can call it the ankle pick, what the hex of the ankle pick. Oh, my God. This <laughs> Abdul Razak Al-Hasbin. Yeah, but even that is generous to the has-beens. I mean, this man has struggled, to say the least. Yet the line on this, and I'm telling you, if I told you this a year and a half ago that this was a line, you would say, shut the fuck up, no way, I'll throw my life on it. It is Alessio De Carico, minus 140. Guy who got slumped by Zach Cummins. I'm not even shitting you. Or no, he slumped Zach Cummins. I'm seeing 240. Are you sure that's a 140? No, 240. Yeah. Sorry. 240. 240. Abdur Zakalazan plus 200. I'm shocked by this line, but I can't ride it. 
the man's burned me too many times. Yeah, I'm right there with you. This one's not playable on either of those numbers for me. You got LSI and DiCarico are 0-3, 1-4, respectively, in their last couple, both fighting for their jobs. We know the MO on El Hassan. He's going to start super fast, go for that knockout on the blitz. If he doesn't get it, he's fucked. DiCarico is probably the sharper, more technical striker. If he doesn't get knocked out, El Hassan's fucked. Um, I don't know. that The price is way too high for me or too low for me on either side. I think the only play here is Al Hassan in round one. I think the stupid line, like getting plus 700 on the most likely outcome for him to win, isn't just blitzing forward and catching Alessio. But even that, I might not even sprinkle it because of how bad he's been recently. MMA math. I guess it's not totally MMA math, but similar fighters. So Carrico did lose to Zach Cummins. It wasn't by KO's decision, but if you watch that fight, he got basically bodied and then rode out to the bell. But his most recent win was a walking Buckley head kick round one KO victory for Buckley. And Hassan's most uh, second most recent loss is a Chaos Williams straight right 30 seconds in, which I know we all remember. So, I don't know. I, I think you're not wrong, Danny. First round, it's just rounds. Like, I'd almost rather do Al Hassan, like, in the distance. But, like, you get so much less. It's tough. I, I think ultimately, if you had to pick Dan, I'm, and this is not betting advice, I'm just saying if you had to pick, you land the 240 or are you taking the plus 200? I think I'm taking the plus 200. Yeah, and too. the reason's more so just Alessio's one and four. It's not like he's shown that he's durable. And you got to oh. be durable to survive that first blitz or the second blitz. But no, there's going to be two or three hard ones and you got to survive those. Like, I think at minus 110, I really like. Kariko, obviously, I think he's the more like technical fighter, but I, I was kind of shocked when I saw plus 200, I won't lie. And I'll really quickly, before we move on, I'll get the opening line. So it actually opened it at DeCarico minus 155 and has, has steamed up to 250 or whatever the fuck it is. So there's been a lot of movement here. Vegas differs on where the action is currently. That's it for the prelim card. We're getting into the main card chat. Wait, we're putting a pause on the main card challenge. We're still hitting you with Parker's props, though, because he's too green to not reveal his plays. Kobe, do you have the exact units on how green this motherfucker is or just in MCC terms? He would. He got two, two and a half MCC points last week. But totality, how far ahead of us is he than the rest of the game? Uh, 17 ahead of me. Yeah. Geez. 30 ahead of Danny, 31 ahead of Reese. There you go. So so that, that's your point. We can right pretty there. much scrap the MCC going forward and just hit you with Parker's props. Hotter than a summer day in Mississippi. You know what? We're, we're, it sounds like this is the official retirement of the MCC. Danny and I are too eager to break down these fights. We don't want to throw you with random props because that's not why you're here. You're here to make money, not hear us take guesses in the dark. And that's not what we do as cappers is, no. is pick random, random props to – what now? We're finding values. Reese was talking about earlier. And, and we're working for content, so we, we're, we're not going to hit you with some bullshit. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to run down this main card, as we will for main cards going forward, and then we'll hit you with the Parker prop at the end. If, if you're someone who likes it a little bit frothier, you know what I mean? Not You're not someone who likes, likes it like we like it, the liquefied money. You want a little froth. You know, you want to make plus – Plus 11 Hanji on a sub. That's what you're here for. But for us, if you're listening to Danny and myself or DK Capper Longhorn MMA underscore 69 MMA UFC, then, then I understand. But we're, we're in it to make money. 
So this is also a special main card compared to others because this is the season ending, I would say, to the return of the ultimate fighter. We'll get to it in a little bit, but the co-main and I guess the, the co-co-main, the fight right before it, uh, are the two, the 45 or the 35 pound and the 85 pound ultimate fighter titles. So you will see two ultimate fighter champions crowned this Saturday only on ESPN. But until then, we'll work our way up there. We'll start with Mahmoud Muradov versus Gerald Mershart. I believe we have similar takes, but you know what, Dan? I'll give you the floor just in case we don't. Gerald Mershart's plus a whopping 450. Mahmoud Muradov minus 600. One thing I also want to add here against Cosma, Cosma was minus 500. So you're basically giving 50 cents to ride Kamzat instead of uh, Muradov. But wait, no, it opened at 500, closed at 625. Muradov's currently what, 650? Let's see what I say. I'm yeah, seeing 600. 600. So you're basically getting the similar value to Kosmat to Muradov is a, is a side note I wanted to add. I would be remiss if we didn't. But Definitely. What are, your, what are your thoughts on this one? Uh, different than the Hamzat matchup. This is clearly your striker versus grappler. Uh, Mearshart, savvy veteran, great grappler, deadly guillotine that we've seen many times. And Murdov is a great boxer. Uh, he trains at the money team with Floyd. And on top of that, he does have decent wrestling, mostly defensive, but nothing compared to GM3. I don't want to go too deep into this one because the line is so massive. Yeah. I'm not including this in any parlay piece. Um, really the only kind of value I see is maybe a GM three by sub, but that that's not something I feel super confident playing on that right now. I'm seeing it somewhere between plus 600 and plus a thousand, which is too much for a guy that clearly has, this as his easiest path to victory and probably has an advantage on the ground. I would say if your book is only giving you an extra a dollar on the extra plus hundred on the sub, you might as well take Mershart straight up. But if you're getting that plus thousand, right, right, right. If it gets close to that other end, it's probably worth it. It's a big number, especially with this guy being so good at grappling, but this is not a matchup where I expect him to win being how chinny he was. Muradov is a lot more clean of a boxer than Hamzat will ever be. I literally couldn't agree more. One thing too, I love to add this in whenever I have the chance Muradov at one point was 11 and six. He took a lot of fights on the amateur circuit or not amateur, but he took fights probably when he wasn't totally ready since then he's now 30 or 24 or 25 and six. So take that for what it's worth as most of his losses happened in the first or I mean, he's on what a 10 fight ripper. I mean, it's, he clearly has progressed. Just, I don't know if it's enough to warrant a minus 600 against a savvy veteran like Mershart. Oh, yeah. Parker's prop um, is yeah, Mahmoud in the distance, minus 185. Right. Minus 185. Wow. Prop. Okay. It's um, a dry prop from Parker, but I do not hate it. It's definitely not yeah. a bad pick. No, it's not a bad pick. I like that we're giving our analysis before Parker's prop just to see how it differs. I mean, I like that these are phoned in early. Because then we actually know what Parker was thinking. A few of these are going to differ. I, I don't doubt that. Middleweight bout. Andre Petrosky, or sorry, my bad. Andre Pohoski versus Michael Gilmore. 
And the line on that is we didn't do this for the MCC, I'm pretty sure, but Pohoski is minus 500, uh, Michael Gilmore plus 400. Dan? Yeah, we didn't see a ton of Michael Gilmore on the show. He stepped in on short notice to replace, uh, I think it might have been Dustin Lampros, a fighter that name is escaping me, um, who hurt, hurt his knee or popped a, a strained MCL, I think it was, and then got absolutely dominated by Gilbert Urbina. Urbina had his back nine seconds into the fight, and from there it didn't let go. Like he got the body triangle, secured him, and got the rear naked choke in. Um, and then on the other side, Petrosky was one of the first picks for team Ortega and he was a favorite to win the whole thing until he kind of let his head get too big for him in the Brian battle fight, the semifinal and got absolutely caught with a random, I don't want to use that F word anymore, a random guillotine choke that he left his neck out for. And I think he's going to learn from that. I think that his grappling's awesome. I mentioned what they're doing out at Daniel Gracie Jiu-Jitsu, him, uh, Sean Brady, Pat Sabatini. There's a lot of great wrestlers there who know how to tie in their Jiu-Jitsu. And I think that he's going to be able to sub Gilmore. Gilmore looked lost when uh, he gave up Urbina. He gave Urbina his back right away. And Petrovsky's going to get it done. I mean, so Danny, you literally took every single word out of my mouth. The real question is, though, how do you play this one? Is, is it even possible? I mean, you're looking to a guy who lost to Brian battle. I'm comfortable throwing Petrosky in parlays, even though it's not going to help a ton with the line being so big, I'm comfortable a little less. So, but with Petrosky inside the distance or Petrosky by sub, he does start really fast and tends to fade. And as we saw, Gilmore is not the best defensive grappler. I wouldn't be surprised if it's a quick sub. And I do think that Gilmore is getting this spot, this opportunity, because he took that fight on short notice and, and made the show go on, really put money in Dana's pocket. And Dana said, here's a one-fight deal. Go get your ass kicked in, on the biggest <laughs> stage, but here you go. Thanks for scratching my back. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with that take. I just think this is another scenario – where the line makes it too hard to, to realize it just, it just makes it such a tough spot Kobe what's the uh what's the prop well I like that we've got you know this guy Andre Pohoski the guy that we're expecting to win that might have a little bit of UFC career in him the guy that's the guy with the nickname Parker does not like that he's got Gilmore knockout plus 865 wow that would shock me no, but I, Parker me. has hit a lot of props that have shocked me more. I was going to say, shock me is the wrong word. That would be, I don't know what I would do there. If, if, if Pohoski gets, gets knocked out, then I might actually legitimize this Parker thing. Cause right now I'm still convinced it's just dumb luck. If he hits this one, I will know. I'll take a alert shot. Book it, Kobe, book it. If he hits this one, I will rip him alert for literally no reason other than the fact that what the fuck just happened. Moving up the card. Oh, this is a good one. Welterweight bout. Kevin Lee versus D-Rod. Daniel Rodriguez. Kevin Lee making his 170 debut. We have Kevin Lee minus 150. D-Rod plus 130. I'm very excited for this one. Uh, a lot to do with it's been just a long time since we've seen Kevin Lee. I think he was one of the last people who fought on the 
first fight before everything paused for COVID, he lost to Chucky Olives, the now champion at 155. And that was a fight where he was actually favored in and won the first round on the scorecard. He looked like a, he was almost out grappling or, uh, Charles Oliveira for a decent amount until he left his neck out and got caught in a guillotine. But the interesting thing is this will be his first time up at 170 pounds. He's fought the who's who at uh, 155. And I think that the, the move to 170 is, 170 is going to be great for him. Yeah, He's more than a decent striker with his highlight reel over uh, highlight reel knockout over Gregor Gillespie, as well as holding his own against Edson Barbosa, even out striking him for a round, I think. And it, I don't think it gets talked about enough. He's a phenomenal wrestler. Kevin Lee is a really, really great wrestler. Yeah. I would say that's his building block, honestly. Like I would lean his wrestling. Somehow. I think people underestimate how hard this cut was on him. I mean, you I see, agree. You see time and time again, if you look, I mean, if you made a montage just weighing videos, you see him with really bad staff. You see him wobbly. You see him missing weight. I mean, he really struggled to get to 55. And Kiesa, not all of two weeks ago, we saw a guy who benefited tremendously from just accepting the fact that his natural weight's 170 and working from there. I mean, I think people kill themselves to get to these weights to have an advantage and ends up sometimes, sometimes being a disadvantage. No, for sure. And on the other side, Rodriguez is a well-rounded prospect. Uh, I do suspect him to have the strength advantage here with Kevin coming up, but there's always the draw of, of Kevin's going to have a significant speed advantage. And Daniel and, Rodriguez being a 10th planet black belt is something I've never really seen. It's, it's something that doesn't really exist in my head. I don't know why, but yeah, I've no. never seen him like dangerous off his back or I've never been, I don't know. I could not agree more. I mean, you think of D-Rod, you, if you didn't know, you would never say it out loud. You never say it. Right. Yeah. The other thing too, that you added, and, and I actually want to ask this question and Kobe, this is, this pertains to you as well. Um, you might not totally know the answer, but I'm interested in your take. We all agree that Kevin Lee probably has the speed advantage being able to fluctuate between 55 and 70. Do you think the speed advantage won't be as significant because of the fact that he's moving up in weight? Do you think that the 15 pounds loses speed on, on the hands, which you wouldn't necessarily think it does? I know it adds power. A lot of people say it adds power going from 55 to 70 or 70 to 85, like you feel the difference. I mean, the 85ers just hit harder. The 70s hit harder. But do you think that it affects the speed at all? I don't think it matters what we think now. I think we'll learn a lot from Williams, though. We'll see how he looks. But we've seen this before. I mean, we've seen people move from 55 to 70. But we've seen different occurrences. I mean, we'll, we'll, uh, at the end of the day, we're going to learn a lot from Williams. And I'm just so curious because that's the big anchor if I bet Kevin Lee or not is if he really does have the speed advantage on the feet. Because if it hits the mat, we know Kevin Lee wins, at least in theory, from what we've seen. The big difference – right, okay. I mean, I guess we're on the same page there. So, Danny, at 150, where are you, where are you laying? I like Kevin Lee. This is a play that I'm, I'm very comfortable with. I think that it'll see my sheet. This is one that I had noted before we started recording. But I think that Kevin Lee is – one of the more underrated guys on the roster. And I don't know why that's the case, but I don't think that betters and fans really love him. He's, he doesn't have that. He doesn't have that digestible of a personality, I think is why he's, he's a little off putting, but I think he's as talented as many of the other guys ranked at 155. 
But like, and the other thing too, and I don't want to get too stuck on this fight because we have a lot left, but it's like, if I told you Kiesa was going to make his run at 170 like he did, a guy who got tapped by Kevin Lee, you would say no. You'd be like, no way. Like Kiesa was like, not bad at 55, but he wasn't title contention. And now before the Luke fight, you were talking about it. And he almost had the Luke fight too. Um, so I, I, I don't disagree with you. I like Kevin Lee. One last question, Dan. Do you have a units on this one or is this one just stay tuned? Yeah, this is stay tuned. It's not placed yet. I do. It will see my card. I'm confident there, but uh, not sure how many. Okay. Parker likes Kevin Lee knockout plus 615. That seems like a big number. It does seem like a big number. But the problem is, and you, get to, this with, you get to this with a lot of guys, It not that he can figure it out, but like if I said Kevin Lee decision, Kevin Lee submission, Kevin Lee knockout, all of them seem pretty equally probable. But, oh, Cassie, I see, I see. You know what I mean? You can see them all ways. It's not like a Mershart. If I told you Mershart knocks out Muradov, you're like, what the fuck just happened? Who, who died? This one can right. go anyway. Um. Getting inching closer. Nope, actually, we're there. I was about to say inching closer to the tough finales. We're actually there. And this is the, I would say, the, the runner-up or the, the co-ankle lock. We're not doing two ankle locks. We're not that greedy. But this is one that was in heavily considered. Ricky Tercios versus Brady Heistat. Danny sees value. The line is Tercios minus 160, Heistat plus 40. Danny, why do you see the value? Because I was on Heistat on set the spread. And after our discussion about potential ankle locks, you've swayed me. Yeah, this is one that I've also come around in the just in the past two days since we recorded the set the spread. And part of it was just I rewatched all of the tough fights. And, and the other part was just looking deep into either of these guys, both of these guys' records. You've got Tercios, who's a former Dana White contender series fighter. He lost that fight and didn't get his contract. But Dana mentioned in his initial introduction of this tough season how Dana really just thought he was too young in that instance and how he needed a little bit more experience, a little bit more exposure. And that's exactly what he got. And this second run at the UFC is it, there's a reason why he made it all the way to the final and is on the biggest stage. Now the Coco main event, as you said, Reese, but he's a guy who's super well-rounded. He's really quick while also being really unorthodox. He shows you a lot of different angles and different feints. He's got good footwork. He's a decent grappler. I wouldn't say it's one of his strengths, but he's mainly just hard to take down and keep down. He's really athletic. He's good at getting off his back. And that's kind of what I see Brady trying to do is take him down and control him. Brady's a lot younger. He's a lot more green. Um, Not in the semifinals, but I think his second fight of the tournament was a split decision over a teammate of his that uh, I wouldn't have been mad if he had not gotten the nod and not been in this situation. But he is a good, good wrestler, good ground and pound. Um, the, main, the main reason I love Tercios here is that when I look deeper into Brady's record, the record before the show, the record that somehow Dana White. This is the tidbit that we talked about like way in advance. The tidbit that I hinted in the fight too. This is crazy. Blew my socks off. The, somehow Dana White, when scouting for this show, went and came across Brady Tercios's record. And maybe he's got some like, I don't know, references from the gym or whatnot that he's making improvements, but he's got five wins leading up to the show. The combined record of those opponents is one and 24, one win and 24 losses. It's ridiculous. I mean, that is like one of those things where 
you look at a guy's record like always oh, five no and this is why i talk so much about the amateur circuit and these guys who are like like kamaru usman is is 20 and one or whatever it is his one loss was his first professional fight i mean you you, you gotta take those with a grain of salt so you're looking at a guy like brady heist a guy that i was like well i was underwhelmed with tercios in the show brady heist said might be a spot at a dog and dan goes guess what brady heistad is is 24 years old and has like 22 Stacking tomato cans has not had a convincing win, even on the show. The most convincing one, uh, Vince Murdoch popped his ACL in the first exchange. That's the only time he finished anyone. The only time it wasn't like a, a decision, let alone split. Right. And then, I love Tercios here at yeah, 155. I think that's a great price. Yeah. I think he's he do, he's ready. Uh, he's not gonna be scared by the bright lights, having had like kind of the biggest fight of his life in that Dana White contender series. Great warm up for him. Also in the Apex again. I know, I mean, they all have experience in the Apex, yeah. but one thing I want to add though, and, and this is really urgent. I know I do this a lot where I line up potential fades. This is one for me. I was really underwhelmed with Tercios. And I think the only path to victory victory for Brady would be let it hit the mat, grind it out on top, a very similar approach to our other ankle or our ankle lock, Darren Stewart. But it's like I think if Tercios came in hot to the UFC 35 and fought, not necessarily a rank guy, but those guys on the edge, I think he's in big trouble. I mean, like, Marab's 11. I know he's not supposed to fight Marab, but, like, Marab rolls this guy. You know what I mean? So there's a lot to learn still from Tercios. I, I wasn't overly impressed with him, but I, I think that, Dan, what you said, the reasonings, it's, it's less about what, like, Tercios is the second coming and more like this is the first real test for Brady – if you can get the first real test for Brady at 155, like, yeah, I'll take it. That on. Big time. Yeah. So I love your reasoning there. And that was one that I thought Brady could be a dog play. And you totally swayed me on Tercios. I will be on it officially tracked. I mean, so, the one in 24 is just a stupid stat. Yeah. It, I mean, that's like actually remarkable because that hides kind of. When you're looking at records, it hides a little bit. One in 24. I mean, you're basically fighting guys who have no business being there. I mean, clearly the only guy who had a win was one in 12. The other guys are literally unwin. Like no one has won. The other thing too. And again, I, I, I hate getting too bogged down by Donovich, but the thing is I always say that guys who have multiple guys who work a nine to five and then try to, to fight and things like that, they have a tougher time. Brady, not only is he 22, but he works as a firefighter. A lot of time. I know people are like, Oh, well, Steve did too. But it's like when you're 22 years old and you're trying to develop skill sets, it's hard if you don't go all in and, and great to him. Firefighters, the most noble men in society are up there, like phenomenal stuff. Hats off to you, Brady. But like, if you want this fighting career, if you want to be a champion at 135, like I, you got to full send it. You know what I mean? Tercios, he full sends it. He trains. I mean, he trains 24 um, seven, but that's just something to add on the side. Moving up. Parker's oh wait, prop. Parker, prop. Parker prop. Sorry. Tercios decision plus 110. There you go. 110 decision. I don't hate it. Danny, you think it's in the distance or you, you like that one? I, I like that play. I, I think it's an interesting number. It doesn't excite me a ton, but yeah, I like it. The 110, I also would rather just have a minus 160 on the off chance he finishes him. I mean, Brady took some damage that last fight out in the finals. Yeah. That's the other thing, too. We didn't hit you at the spoiler alert, but mainly because we just don't feel bad at this point. The season's been out for a while. If you missed it and you're curious about the storylines on this, you can catch all of it on ESPN Plus along with other seasons. Highly recommend. I assume that if you've dug far enough to find your ankle pickers over here that you've seen it, but on the off chance you haven't, 
it's good well, content. And yeah. it makes it easy to tape. You just go episode by episode, skip the 20 minutes, and then you're at the fight. It's the taping I've ever done, and you can just brush right past it. Um, you don't miss not, anything this season. No, you really didn't. I was talking about that earlier, but I didn't. I mean, I don't want Uncle Dana getting pissed. So co-main event is the middleweight bout from the same season. They did half uh, bantamweight, half middleweight. Or, yeah, and there's a middleweight bout. Brian Battle, the last pick from Tough, he knocked out Treshawn Gore. Or not – no, he did not fight Treshawn Gore. His, his opponent, Gilbert Urbina, got knocked out by Treshawn Gore. We've talked about it earlier. Treshawn Gore, via injury, had to be removed. They decided that amongst the middleweights, Urbina is the most deserving. I think the whole panel agrees on that. He's the most talented from what we've seen. But Brian Battle, the last pick from Team Volkanovski, is now fighting – I believe the first pick from Volkanovsky's side in Gilbert Urbina, his brothers, Urbina name sounds familiar because he has two or three brothers that have taken a similar career trajectory. And the line on this, I don't want to say surprisingly, but it's the last pick, Brian Battle, who won all of his fights, minus 160, Gilbert Urbina, the sub for Treshawn Gore, plus 140. The one interesting comment that I noticed today when I was rewatching all those episodes and whatnot was when they had the meeting with the two coaches to make the two semifinal fights and Dana asked both coaches, uh, who, who's going to win it all? Volk, his answer was Brian Battle. This was, was my, he said, this guy was my last pick and he's shown me so much improvement over the course of this thing, which was yeah. really interesting. No, he mentioned, like he made a point to say, Every single time Brian Battle has come to practice, he has made dramatic improvements, like drastic improvements. Like he, he made a point to say, it. I've never really seen that out of a coach before. Mm-hmm. Which is interesting. Uh, and Battle's a guy who's, he's really well-rounded. He's not super quick, but no major holes. And then on Urbina's side, he's a great grappler. Obviously, as Reese mentioned, he's got some family in the UFC. He's probably a little bit more used to this lifestyle, but I don't know. He, he doesn't really seem like the complete package for me. He did get knocked out by Trayshawn Gore and he was on skates for like a good minute and a yeah, half yeah. of that. He could, it could have been stopped earlier. Um, I don't know. This is, this is an interesting one because battle didn't show great takedown defense versus Petrosky and then wound up with that guillotine at the right moment. But, but it, this but, one's hard for me to pick. It's a pass. Petrosky, the guy on the undercard, was, I believe, including myself, I don't know about you, Dan, was the overwhelming favorite to win the show. I thought he was off. His oh, head. yeah. I, I think he, yeah. So, and I wish, I wish we got gifted the Trayshawn Gore line. I imagine Gore would have been the favorite. I'd be hard not to. It's tough because I don't think Brian has a long term stay in the UFC. I think he's unique, I think he's a great guy. I just, when you look at his, his stature, you look at his skill sets, you look at really more than anything, the crispness, which I think Volk was saying it has improved over time. Cause I mean, he was last pick because he wasn't totally fundamentally there. I just, I don't know here. I think Urbina's a good shot at plus plus one forty, but I mean, do you put your hard earned cash there? Yeah, it's hard for me. I think this one's going to be a pass unless something changes for me in weigh-ins or these next couple of days and more taping. Yeah. I, I, Wish I disagreed, but I don't. I think it has to be a pass. If Urbina wins, I wouldn't be surprised. Great season of Brian Battle. He proved everybody wrong. But the 160 for a guy, uh, I don't know. I mean, for everyone, tidbit too. I mean, Danny was shooting out some tidbits. I'll hit you with one. Uh, the last week main event, uh, Kelvin Gaston was picked dead last in his season. 
for anyone who's way, way old, like Luke Kumo made it to the finals in season one and he was last pick. So sometimes your stature and stuff can be unassuming and can get you in trouble in an hour evaluation or whatever they have. He didn't have success at the time, but Brandon Moreno, former Deadly. last ranked guy, yeah. he lost to Pantoja first, first but fight of that a, season. But a, but they, Brandon Moreno, last, also last a, pick. That fight was a phenomenal fight. Like, I remember thinking, like, Brandon Moreno has this, he has this, he has this, and he got tapped. He looked great, though. Like, it wasn't mm-hmm. as big of a domination. It was They did seeds that year. It was one seed versus six seed or 16 seed. I think was Emmers on that season. I don't know. I don't want to get by down. But uh, so anyways, yeah, I mean, you, you, you never know what to expect from the last pick and the unassuming guy, but 160 is just a tough price to pay. I mean, more than anything else. Parker's on battle by decision plus 180. Okay. I mean, that would be a reasonable way for battle to win. You could take both Tercios and battle by decision. And if one of them hits, you're going to be green. Wow. That honestly doesn't seem that bad because you're picking the winner, which I think all of us, I mean, I'm a little bit more gray on the Urbina, but I think most people would say, okay, if, if battle one and Tercios won, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, they're the two favorites. I wouldn't be surprised. Obviously the likely way is decision. I think that's not a bad play by Parker. Actually. I wouldn't be surprised if one of those hits. And in in this season, we've seen a lot of decisions. Yeah. I can, other than the Treshawn Gore, can't really think of any other finish off the top of my head like that. Yeah. Especially the subs, but oh yeah, Petra the sub by Petra. But yeah, I mean the 85ers, especially, I feel like was I was not as bit as much finished as I thought there might be. So with the with the with with it wrapping up the tough season, I know I don't know the exact fight card. I think it's 66, but you have Volk Ortega right before 67. Bingo. So yep, mid- late September. So mid-September, you'll have the coaches fight, uh, which is Volk is the favorite. Here's just closing off the season. I, I really do hope that they do another season of tough. I enjoyed it. I don't, I haven't seen the viewership numbers. I know prior seasons they used to release those on when they were on uh, Fox sports one. I'm assuming ESPN will spike. spike. That was way back. I'm assuming they're going to keep it going. I hope they keep it going, but all in all, uh, I, I'm a, I, it's a good closure to a good season. And I, I like all four of these guys. None of them are like, God, that's the dickhead from the show. I mean, they're all good guys. You know what I mean? I'm excited to see this one. Let's get to the main event, though. And and that's really what's going to put butts in seats. I mean, the ultimate fighter is fun and all, but these are two extremely, extremely talented strikers. When you got a guy with the best kicks maybe ever in Edson Barbosa, and you have a 6-0 Georgian kickboxing striker in Giga Jakatsi, 6-0 in the UFC, um, 13-2 all-time. And the line is pretty much dead even. You have, it's been hovering back and forth, but it ended up closing at Edson Barbosa minus 120, Giga Jakatsi plus 100. I mean, it is pretty much pick them there. So it's a pick your poison type scenario here. And you have a guy who's just a dog in Shane Burgos and Edson Barbosa. He's on the, I mean, I revere him as one of the top strikers. We talked about his flying knee against uh, Benel Dariush earlier. You got a guy who has highlight finishes after highlight finishes. And is a, I mean, I watched him live make Dan Hooker like actually die. I thought Dan Hooker was going to die in there against a guy like Giga who getting split decisions on a guy in his undercard, Dan. I, it's interesting this line to me. Yeah, definitely. You said it. Phenomenal kickboxers. Barbosa, absolute legend, fought absolutely everybody. 155. I mean, I'm talking Khabib, Darius Hooker, F- Ferguson, Felder, Cerrone. 
everyone. Yeah, literally everyone. But this is moved down to featherweight, and he's he's now two and one with that move down. He looks a lot more comfortable than that first and weight cut. If you have it in front of you, do you mind running through the two and one in featherweight? I know he beat Shane Burgos, which again he was the dog, phenomenal fight. So Where I think it's wins over Makwan Amirkani and Shane Burgos, and it's a loss to Dan Ige, a loss where he yeah. looked really uncomfortable on the scale. Yeah, and and we've talked about Dan Ige too, where it was that his first fight at featherweight for Dan Ige. Yep. There you go. So. You see that with a, guy, a lot with guys moving weight where they think they have it planned out, they're trying to do it, and it takes a little bit more science. It takes two camps, like sir. Yeah, two, yeah, two and a half camps, really sir. get the science down. And since then, he's looked great at 45. I mean, the Shane Burgos fight, he looked, I mean, perfect. Perfect. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so that's a good note. I'm glad we added that. And also, we have a ton of respect for Ige here. We all love that. Gavin Tucker, he, he slumped him. So it's like – it's not like it was a slouch. So you got a guy in, in Barbosa who's, who's earned valuable rounds. And then across from him, it, it's Chikadze, a guy we talk about all the time. Super exciting prospect, undefeated, major piece of the Georgian Danny invasion Georgian. we love to mention. Danny yeah. Georgians. I mean, it, it, he's more <laughs> of a traditional kickboxing background as opposed to Barbosa's Muay Thai, but both fighters have phenomenal kicks. I mean, Barbosa's uh, world-famous switch kick is – second to none and then giga has the literal giga kick that finds your liver like a fucking missile um and and stopped cub swanson which was pretty cool this should be fireworks from start to finish i'm really excited for it i do have to i I really do favor edson on the feet i think that his experience is going to help him i think that he's also got a little bit more of an offense for giga to worry about i like people forget because Edson has never shown it but this is a black belt on the mat a guy that if it goes there which it, I mean it hasn't in his past like 15 fights but if it goes there I expect a pretty serious different in difference in skill level and know-how and, and pretty much everything between him and Giga and on the feet we saw Edson really hasn't missed a step he's hit just as fast as ever and yeah and the big thing for me and I don't want to take anything away from Giga 6-0 in the UFC and stuff, but, like, I mean, you've seen him in spots. I mean, yeah, I mean, his Cub Swanson one was phenomenal, but you've seen him in spots where he was in trouble. You've seen him in spots where you wonder how high his ceiling really is. I mean, I, I'm referring a little bit farther back, the split decision win against Brendan Davis, a guy no longer in the UFC. A split decision win on Jamal uh, over Jamal Amers, a guy who's on the undercard here, and might have lost that one if judges were yeah a little bit in different opinion. Yeah. I don't know. I agree. It's it's definitely if you told if people say that take, you're not like you're crazy. I mean, like he might have lost that one. Then then they give him a comeback or not a comeback fight, but like an Erwin Rivera fight, code fighter, and then and then this is the the, the last three have, have told me that he's he's changed i mean omar morales i hold a ton of respect for 10 out of the time giga beats him via unanimous decision finishes uh jamie simmons we're not high on him mainly a wrestling foundation was a guy who came in on yeah. short notice to get knocked out and then cub swanson was an annihilation but like if i read that list other than omar morales you're and even still, including Omar Morales, I would say comfortably that Edson Barbosa is his toughest test, is what I would say. Big time. Yeah. And so and obviously these are completely different fighters, and we don't really want to get bogged down. Right. But not, not with the list of with the list of like Khabib, Darius, Tony, uh, Cerrone, Felder, 
is Giga even like a top seven opponent no. that he's faced? No, not even close. Showtime right. Pettis in 2016. I mean, there's so many, but the the big issue is though, is the does the 35 year old Barbosa who I my answer is yes, but does the 35 year old Barbosa have enough steam in the tank to beat a rising up and coming Giga Jakatsi? That's the question. That's I really think he does. Yeah, um, I mean, secondhand information at this point, but I did read a tweet from someone who had talked to someone who has sparred with Giga and fought Barboza. So through the grapevine completely, but someone who has. He's like something that would hold up in court there, Dan. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Definitely. I was there to witness it firsthand, but <laughs> he says that Barboza is faster from his opinion. Someone that's kickboxed with both of them. That doesn't surprise me. That doesn't surprise me. The other thing too, Dan, and I don't know if you've looked at this, you might have. How old do you think Giga is? If you had to guess. On the spot. I mean, the, the question makes me think older, but I'm going to go with 30. 33. Okay. So I I thought he was under 30. I thought he was 29, 28 when I first looked. 33. Uh, a lot of these guys that start in kickboxing, we – we just, and I guess even wrestling, Marco Manson last week. I mean, once they're done with their career and their traditional kickboxing or wrestling or whatever, sometimes you get to MMA a little late. And I, I'm not saying that is what's happening to Giga. I think Giga's got enough experience, but it's, I, he was an old, where, where, where Aldo's a really young 32, Giga feels like an old 33. You know what I mean? Like, whoa, how the hell is that guy 33? Yeah. Um, so yeah, two years difference. You got a guy, I, I love Edson at the price. Right, I think we're on the same side here in terms of betting. The 120 is a gift. The plus one or the minus 105 that it was when we set the spread was an even bigger gift. Yeah. Um, people do love Giga. It's now that you're mentioning his age, it's funny that I brought him up as an exciting prospect. He's 33 years old. Kobe, I have a question for you. What was Danny's line on set the spread? Check the books. Uh, while I'm checking, Parker's on Edson in round three plus 1100. So I mean, that's absurd. Absurd. that's absurd. Um, 145 Barbosa was Danny's line. Okay, so it, it opened at 150, Dan. And I thought 150, 145, unreal. I, I don't mind mm-hmm. that. Sharps, or not sharps, but early action is on Giga. I, I just, the only thing that scares me is that when things are too good to be true, it probably is. And it kind of feels that way with this. I'm like, how is Edson minus 120? How could you have gotten Edson at minus 105? I, I don't get that. It scares me off a little bit. So the last question before we continue, does this see your card? Right now, I think it will. If this fight was tonight, I yeah. think I'm betting Edson. I'm comfortable with it. There's something I, I have to see more from Giga to make me think that he's going to stand with one of the best kickboxers that I've ever seen at 155 and 145 for 15 minutes. And if he has a different game plan, I'll be surprised and I'll be shocked. I'll probably lose that bet, but I don't see him standing in front of Edson and not taking a lot of spinning back heels to the chest and switch kicks. And I mean, all of it, you know, who else I think would be a big favorite against Giga, not big favorite, but bigger favorite Shane Burgos. Yeah, I do. I was thinking about that the other day. I was making lines for, Giga Shane would wrestle ball. fucking Shane. Yeah. Shane wouldn't stand in front of Giga. Shane would fucking dominate up. that yeah. fight the second it started because he's smarter. I agree. And I think that like, you look at, you look at the, I go, 
I looked at Ige even, um, and and you go, you know, like or any of the guys at fifty five that Edson fought, and you're like, I mean, kick his dogs to all these guys, man, all these guys, mm-hmm. and I I just think the price is a steal personally, but I would love to see a newer fans experience because I mean we've seen Edson throughout the times. I mean we've watched Edson fucking fuck people up. I'm interested to see someone in the newer age where they're like, oh, I've seen all Giga's fights. I've only seen a couple of Edsons recently. I still think they'd probably be on Edson. I, I don't I don't fucking know. I like this one. That's a wrap. I mean, I there's no more info to be said. Does anything does anyone else have anything to add or forever hold your peace? I've got some scheduling info. You got some scheduling info? Hit us. We've got Dana White contender series next Tuesday. Yep. We have PFL on ESPN this Friday, by the way. That's actually a good fight card. We got a lot of ex-UFC guys. Antonio Shulo, uh, Shoeface, Carlos Jr., um, Cesar Ferreira, uh, a couple other ones. And I know there's some prospects too, Bubba Jenkins. It's a good card. It's a good PFL card. So we've got action a lot of days upcoming. Um, that's always fun. Sunday was the boxing match. If you did care, I personally don't, but if you did care. Um, and, and then, and then, uh, also quickly while we have everybody, what is on deck next week? Do we have it on off cuff? Cause we'll be back for a oh, Bronson till Bronson September till. 4th. So we'll be back for that one. We're going to hit you with set the spread on Monday. As of now, no upcoming interview, but we definitely have more in the books. If you missed the Freddie Stevenson interview, go back and listen to that one. It's one of the more inspirational things I've ever said. I couldn't even hide it. I was trying to hide my admiration for him and I I couldn't, I just told him over and over again, how inspired I was. Um, But more interviews to come for sure. Please download, like rate, subscribe. And it really does make a difference. Every single one of you, it helps us follow us at ankle pick pod. Danny, do you even want to bother? I mean, DK Longhorn MMA underscores something, something. Uh, It changes a lot. It's always different. At Longhorn MMA. There you go. That's a tough one. Um, and with that being said, I actually, Kobe, I want to hear your send off tonight because it feels like you've been in, you, you sit in the shadows a little bit. Give us the dirtiest Gilby Burns you can give us to send everybody off into the weekend and we'll catch them back Sunday night or set the spread. Go for it. Oh, wow. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.